McShane Bible Study, Day 111, and we're starting in Leviticus 25. And so we start with uh, the Sabbath year, you know, so Moses is on Mount Sinai. God has given him the law. And the Sabbath year, this goes like this, verse 3, For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year you should rest, rest the land. Mm-hmm. It just stuck out to me, this one and the next one, how similar that is. This is obviously very similar to the week, right? There's six days of work, and then there's a Sabbath day rest. Well, he says your field should have six years of work and a Sabbath day rest. And then comes the year of Jubilee, um, verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. And then on the Day of Atonement, we talked about the holidays yesterday, so that's the 10th day of the seventh month in the fall. And on the Day of Atonement, this is the day that the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, you shall declare it a uh, year of jubilee. And so the slaves are are, uh, people that have sold themselves into slavery or let free, people that uh, had to sell their property, get their property back, um, that everything was kind of squared and made even. So people couldn't perpetually be uh, a lower class. If they, if they either made bad choices or had bad things happen to them that put them in a bad situation, when the end of this 50 years came around, they could be made back to even. Mm-hmm. And so it also caused people not to take severe advantage of people because they knew at the end of that 50-year period, which might be, you know, 48 years from now, it might be 15 years from now, but you knew that you're going to have to give something back. So it, it, it uh, caused <laughs> a lot more equality in all times, not just in the 50 years times. And so, but anyways, this is very similar to the Feast of Weeks, right? Remember mm-hmm. Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, seven weeks, uh, Pentecost, 50 days. Mm-hmm. It's uh, seven weeks. And then the 50th day after Feast of First Fruits is uh, Shavuot or Feast of Weeks. And so the year of Jubilee is the same thing. And so I, I don't, I don't have any like profound understanding of that. I just find that kind of interesting how those things line up together. Also gives credence to the idea of a thousand year reign being the seven thousand, you know, the thousand years that is the seventh of, uh, you know, humanity's time. And then they talk about taking care of poor brothers, not taking advantage of them, but taking care of them, redeeming property. Um, there's a lot of talk about slavery. And remember, as we talked about yesterday, God was establishing a law that was making people be less barbarous. Mm-hmm. Understand that word? Less like a barbarian. <laughs> less like a, I mean, people were vicious back then. So we look at this and we say, oh, God says slavery is good. And, you know, people in this country, what, 150 years ago, whenever that was, um, they use scriptures like this to say it's okay for me to keep these people as slaves. Because they didn't release them every 50 years or whatever that was. Right, well, but, you know, to their credit, that really is talking about fellow Israelites. So they, I'm sure they had the perspective that we're white people and these are black people and therefore they're different people and therefore I can keep them as slaves. However... 
if you look at, um, what was it? One of them stuck out to me. Verse 49, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. Well, that gives us a clue that their version of slavery was very different than the American version mm-hmm. of slavery, right? Because I don't think it was possible for an American slave to get rich because the owner considered everything that is theirs is, is the owner's, right? Mm-hmm. So that gives us a clue. And I, I've also heard that about Roman slavery, Greek slavery. I mean, slavery used to be very common everywhere. Yeah. And, um, it, but that it was a di- there's different kinds of slavery in different places. And, uh, but again, my, my whole point was God, God is not saying slavery is good. God is putting a limit mm-hmm. on slavery, which was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was a step in the right direction towards getting rid of all slavery. And um, and we see that with Paul and Philemon. He's he didn't say because, again, in that time, you know, that, that's what 1500 years later, slavery was still common. Mm-hmm. And Paul didn't Paul, they weren't trying to change the rules of the world. They were trying to build a kingdom or they were a, about building a kingdom. So Paul wasn't trying to break down the rules of society because he, the world was not his interest. The kingdom was mm-hmm. his interest. The people and God were his interest. So he, was, he wrote this letter to say, um, this is your brother. He was, not, he was before you know, just your slave, but now he's come to know the Lord. So now he's your brother in Christ. So do the right thing. Let him go. Uh, I think that's all I had to say about that. And we're moving on to Psalm 32. I really like this psalm. Um, starts out, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So he starts out in a place of gratitude to the Lord, right? He's thankful mm-hmm. that the God is forgiven. He knows he's fell short of God's glory, but he, he knows that the Lord is with him, that, that he's been forgiven. And so he's filled with gratitude. He's, and then verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This talks about the way of God's disciplining us. It's, not, mm-hmm. it's never promised to us to be easy to walk with the Lord, right? There's a thing called a prosperity gospel where people think, all God wants is for your flesh to be happy and rich and whatever. It's ridiculousness. That, that, that does not come from the Bible. Mm-hmm. You can pick out a verse without context, and, and build a whole theology around that. But if you understand the whole Bible, that, that's not what it says. Um, it does say we are blessed. It does say God has more amazing plans for us than we can even imagine. But it also says he's going to discipline us and transform us into what he purposes for us to be, right? And so David even had an understanding of this a long time ago. Five, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So again, he knows he's fallen, fallen short and he knows the Lord has blessed and forgiven him. And then eight, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will. So this now it's God talking, right? Mm-hmm. So first, and I like the way it, this is a really... This is a really cool because he starts out in the beginning. It's his relationship with God. And then in the middle, he talks about encouraging others to worship the Lord. So it's, it's him and other people, right, with God. 
And then it moves to God speaking in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So God says, I will teach you. He wants to be our father. He wants us to be his sons. That he will train us up in the right way to go. Mm -hmm. He says, I will teach you. I will counsel you. And then 9, there's a bit of a warning. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So he's saying, don't be something that's fighting me the whole way. Not understanding. I love you and I'm with you. Will I take you through challenges and difficulties in order to discipline you and train you? Absolutely. But I'm doing this for your good. So you come into every blessing. And so, and then he, you know, David ends it by saying, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So again, with all the people worshiping the Lord. And next we're in Ecclesiastes 8. And kind of the end stood out to me. In 15, he says, this is 15 to the end. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So he he's just talking about the fact that good things happen to wicked people and bad things happen to good people. And it, it, he just considers it all vanity. And he said in the previous chapters how there's nothing better than just kind of doing your work, getting accomplishing things. Now he's saying there's nothing better than eating and drinking. But... but but what is he commending? Joy. You know, he's saying, find joy in the Lord. Find joy in your life. Don't get upset. Don't, oh, this is great advice for everyone right now. Because the enemy is stirring up troubles everywhere. He's saying, don't get upset about injustices or things that you see out there. Even if they affect the way your life goes. Because you can't control them. Instead, live in joy. Enjoy the fact that you are, and life will go well with you. When you make your happiness about other things, mm -hmm. then you, you're going to be miserable, because those other things are never going to make you happy, right? And then he says, 16, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, such man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. He says so, you know, he's, he's called the wisest man on earth, right? And he says no matter how much he tried to even get a grasp of the fullness of the wisdom of God, the knowledge of what God's doing, he couldn't grasp it. He said, no one can. So, bless, you know, bless the Lord. Worship the Lord. He knows far more than we do. Accept that his way is good and seek mm -hmm. him rather than getting caught up in anything else out there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And we're ending in 2 Timothy 4. And so I just highlighted a few. The first verse I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So Paul is giving a charge or orders to Timothy uh, by the presence of God and Jesus. 
And he says, Jesus is the one to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his coming kingdom, right? It's all about the kingdom to him. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people... So, first of all, he's telling in verse 2, Timothy, to preach, to exhort, to have patience, to rebuke, all these things. But then he says, 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We see this today. We see the church fragmented in, you know, tens of thousands of denominations, all kinds of ways of thinking. People, many of them, completely thrown out the Bible um, because it doesn't, they don't like certain parts of it. They have itching ears. They're accumulating teachers. And then you have some of these will, will, um, you know, they say, oh, you can you can just ignore this sin. We don't believe in that one. and we But we just believe in the parts of the Bible we like. And that attracts people, right? They, have, they, they want to hear someone tell them they're okay living a sinful life. You have other, other Christians who treat the Bible as an idol without understanding that God is living and active, right? You have all kinds of things. I mean, again, there's tens of thousands of of different philosophies. I you can't name them all. There's people who get hung up on gifts as if uh, miracles, signs, and wonders are the be-all, end-all mm-hmm. of the kingdom. When it's just a gift. Those are good mm-hmm. things, but they're just gifts. If you make that the gospel, you, you've missed mm-hmm. everything, right? So there's all kinds of ways to go astray. And Paul had understanding that in the last days, people will gather around the type of teaching that they want without grabbing hold of the real thing, the life of God, right? So he's encouraging him, be sober-minded, endure suffering, fulfill your ministry. And then this just uh, stuck out to me as funny. In uh, I don't know if it's all the Orthodox world, or uh, but having been to Russia, I know uh, Demas or Dima is a really popular name. <laughs> it just stood out to me that he actually wasn't a good character in this thing. Verse 10, for Demas... In love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. <laughs> so it's kind of weird to name your kid after somebody who wasn't godly. Yeah, deserted Paul. <laughs> That's good. You know, a lot of people are named Timothy. Well, Timothy was a wonderful, you know, helper to Paul, right? <laughs> wonderful <Yeah>. apostle. <laughs> Demas deserted Paul. So I find that kind of amusing. And then 17. But the Lord stood by me. So he's in jail. He's gotten deserted by all these people, right? And they're bringing him up under trial. And he says in 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. That's pretty serious, right? We might get into some difficult times, and who knows how difficult times we'll get in the future. I don't know. But... I have never faced the possibility of getting thrown into a lion's den or into an arena where everyone's going to watch a lion eat me, right? Mm -hmm. That's pretty rough. (laughs) That's what he was facing. If the judge decided against him, I don't know if that was the Caesar himself or somebody else, but if the, I mean, he certainly appealed to Caesar, so I don't know if it's Caesar hears the case, but if it doesn't go well, he gets thrown into hungry lions, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but he stood strong. He, all he had to do mm-hmm. was take back his message about Christ being the only way to God. Mm-hmm. Most people 
would say, I don't want to get eaten by lions. I, I was just joking about all that, right? Mm-hmm. But if we are in Christ, if we're in a situation like that, whether it's the threat of being eaten by a lion or something a little less than that, we said, I stand for Christ. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him, and I am his. I have died to everything else but him. And that's what mm-hmm. Paul did, and guess what happened? 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the Lord saved him. It wasn't time for him to die. Now, it would be later time for him to die, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe that we were talking about whether or not he was in jail twice in Rome or not. I mean, maybe this is an indication he was getting out and then later he would get back in jail. We know he died. He was executed from Rome. Uh, people debate whether he was just in, in jail there once or twice. But either way, he has understanding. Just like we talked about with Solomon, he has joy because his life is in the Lord. Right? Mm-hmm. The Lord has blessed him. Whether or not his physical body dies, that's up to the Lord. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right? And obviously, if we don't seek out death. That would be, like we were just talking about Nero, that would be insane. Right? But we're not worried about it or anything else. Mm-hmm. We live for the Lord. And the Lord will bring us through all kinds of difficulties. Just mm-hmm. like he did to Paul here. And so that's all I have for today. Do you have anything? No. God bless you. God bless you.